So great to worship with you. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we're going to be in Acts chapter 14. So if you have a Bible, you can turn it to Acts chapter 14. If not, it's going to be on the screens for you today. And of course, we always have some Bibles that you can, if you don't have a Bible, go to the Welcome Center. They would love to give you one today. If you weren't with us last week, Acts 13 is, is basically the beginning of the Apostle Paul, his missionary journeys. And, and in fact, the rest of the book of Acts is basically about Paul and his journeys. And so last week was, was a pivotal chapter for us to look at where Paul and Barnabas were set aside to be servants and witnesses of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And so God had already been working in Judea, Samaria, and now he is working to the ends of the earth through Paul and through Barnabas. And uh, we saw that last week, the beginning didn't go quite as planned, but they stayed the course, they spoke boldly, and they found their joy in the Lord. Even though it probably didn't go as planned, it's very important to note that their mission did not waver. Their mission has not wavered. They weren't getting discouraged. They weren't planning their trip home. They continued to move on and to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. And many people begin to respond. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. And I love that phrase, good news or gospel. If you don't know what that means, it's very important for us to understand that that phrase gospel, or the word means good news. And the good news is, is that Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus gave his life for you and for me so that we may receive forgiveness of sins through him and him alone. That's what we just sang about. That's the good news. That's the gospel that Paul and Barnabas were continuing to bring to these towns as servants and witnesses of Jesus Christ. And because they were faithful to this, God's kingdom, his church was growing. And when I say church, I'm not talking about buildings. I'm not talking about uh, different buildings throughout the world. I'm talking about you and me. The church, obviously it's a little cliche. We're like, the church isn't a building, it's the people. We get that, but it's true, isn't it? Like you are God's church. You are the one whom he's working within, and we get to then be the church together. So the church is growing. People are believing in Jesus Christ and the resurrection, even in the midst of pushback, resistance, and persecution. That's Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 14, we continue to see more of the same. At the end of Acts 13, we're told that Paul and Barnabas leave Pisidian Antioch, where they had a great response for the gospel, and they head to a town called Iconium. And so this is the, the first part of Acts 14, verses 1 through 7. We're not going to read it, but I'm just going to recap it for you a little bit. They get to Iconium, and once again, this town is very divided. There, there's people, the Jewish people, uh, some don't believe in Jesus in the resurrection. And, and a lot of people, some Jewish and a lot of Gentiles, do end up believing in the gospel. And so they, they believe what Paul and Barnabas are preaching, but there's this massive division within the town. It's causing a lot of tension. And when tension happens, what do a lot of us want to do? We want to run away, don't we? 
I hate tension. If there's tension in the room, I want to leave as fast as possible. But not Paul and Barnabas. There's tension in this town, and guess what? We're told that they stay for a long time. They stay for a long time in a codium. We don't know how long, but they stay for a long time to continue to preach the gospel to people in that town. But after a long time, the voice of the haters grew a little heavier, okay? Things started to get a little heated in this town of Conium, and they catch wind that there's now a plot for their lives, that they're going to be executed. And so they said, with wisdom, it's about time we go. And so they end up leaving and fleeing once again, and that's what we see in 14.6. It says, they fled to the region of Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe, and the surrounding area. That's verse 6, and I love what verse 7 says. So listen to this. So they flee to the surrounding area, and there they continued to preach the gospel. From there, they continue to preach the gospel. When we're reading the Bible and we come across a phrase like that, it's very easy to just kind of skip over that. Like, well, yeah, that's exactly what they went there to do. So, of course, they were going to do that. But we have to pause in this moment because we should be challenged by that one sentence. And there, they continued to preach the gospel. These men... We're facing a mob who were planning to kill them for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. They weren't hurting people. They weren't stealing from people. They, they weren't being mean. They're simply sharing a message that is contrary to what people believe in these certain towns. People hate it so much that they want to put them to death. They want to execute them. And so they end up moving to this other town and to continue their mission. You know what this shows us, this, this verse, verse 7, it says they continue to preach the gospel. It shows us that their resolve in the mission of God, that God has called them to do, was so firm that nothing could stand in the way or stop them. Their resolve in what God has called them to do was so firm that even in the midst of tension and and uh, resistance and persecution and pushback. I mean, however many words you want to throw in there. In the midst of all of that, they continue on. They had their resolve was so firm that they continue on. We should be challenged by this. And, and to be honest, this is the church that we long to be. We long to be a church that has the resolve that Paul and Barnabas had. A church that's willing to be flexible and willing to adapt. A church that stays relevant and engaging to the culture and people. A church that helps people move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. You better believe we're putting our mission statement in there, okay? We resolve to be a church that keeps our mission statement even in the midst of resistance and challenges. This is the church we long to be, but the question is, is how? How do we do this? How, how do we keep that resolve? How do we continue to hold firm to our mission in the midst of this dark world? And that's what we're going to see in Acts chapter 14. And so I've already recapped Acts chapter 14, 1 through 7. They, they head to this town, Oconium, but then they're pushed out and they're heading toward uh, some new towns. And so let's pick it up in verse 8. Acts 14, 8. It says, while they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. Paul realized he had faith to be healed. 
So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. And so again, the context of this is that they're pushed out of Iconium. They go to Lystra and they're in this town, which most likely doesn't have a synagogue because we're not told they went there first, which is their custom. And so they're probably in the town square at this point where this lame beggar most likely is very well known as the beggar, the, someone who needs to beg for finances and alms or whatever the case may be. And so Paul heads to this town square and he's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this man who's crippled from birth is within earshot. And all of a sudden he begins to listen. And we can tell that through this powerful message that something is happening inwardly in this crippled man. Like God is opening his heart, his mind, and he's literally growing this man's faith as Paul is preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so this crippled man starts leaning in because he's like, this is amazing. I've never heard this good news before. I want to hear more. And God is just building this faith up in this man's heart. And so he leans in, but at the same time, you know what Paul does? He leans in as well. He leans in. He notices this crippled man. You see, this is the first key to remaining firm in our mission of helping people move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. It's staying attentive to other people's needs. Staying attentive to other people's needs. This man was listening to Paul, and Paul was attentive to this crippled man who was sitting there, probably someone who has been overlooked his entire life. I love what it says in that passage. It says, looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. I want to just look at, a lot of people want to focus on the last part. He realized he had faith to be healed. We're not going to get into that today, but we, that first statement, looking straight at him. Listen, when it comes to our lives We have a couple choices of how we can look at people, right? We use the phrase, we look up to that person. Who do you look up to in your life, right? We use that phrase all the time. We look, oh, I look up to them. I admire them. They're someone I aspire to be like. We look up to them. But then if we're all honest in here, there's a lot of people we look down upon, don't we? So there's people we look up to, we admire, we want to be like them, but then there's people we look down upon who we think we're better than because of our circumstance and our situation is better than theirs. And then there's a lot of us in in this room too who we don't even look at people at all, where we're just so self-focused on ourselves that we just kind of go blindly into our lives every single day not caring about anybody else. And yet here in this passage, Paul looks straight at him. You see, there's a huge downfall to our culture today, and we can even see it physically. How many people have you had a conversation with that they can't even look at you in the eye because they don't know how? Has that ever happened to you? It happens to me all the time. Maybe it's like the glare off my head or something. I don't know. But like... All the time, I'm talking to people and they're just looking down, looking to the side. It's almost like we've forgotten as a culture of what it looks like to look someone directly in the eye. To have an actual, genuine conversation with someone where we're listening and we're not thinking about other things. 
to look them in the eye intently, staring at them because we care and we have compassion on them in our lives. You see, Paul took the time to look straight at him. He took the time to be attentive to his needs. And in that moment, he perceived like, wow, this man has faith. And and in fact, it's faith enough for him to be not only spiritually healed, but physically healed as well. And of course, God is on the move. And when he's on the move, he does miraculous things. And so Paul says, get up. And you know what? He had the faith and he stood up. We, we saw a similar thing in, in the earlier in Acts. Peter did the same exact thing. God does these things where the gospel is brand new. And so this guy gets up. But before all of that happens with this crippled man, Paul looked straight at him. Paul was attentive to this man's needs spiritually and also physically. If we want to hold firm to our mission, we need to be people who are attentive to the needs of others. Attentive to the needs of others. And there are two sides of the coins to this, okay? Two, one coin. Two sides of the coin to this, all right? The first side is that we must notice. And I already touched on this. We must be aware of. Meaning, stop looking down at people. You can look up to people. That's good. You can admire people. We'll let you do that. But look at people. Eyes wide open. Heart wide open. Be attentive to where they're at in life. Because just maybe God wants to use you in their life, like he used Paul in this crippled man's life. But if we have our eyes closed, metaphorically speaking, and walking around in our lives, we're never going to notice their needs. So be aware. That's the first thing. Be aware of it. Eyes wide open, heart wide open for how God may want to use you in that person's life. And then the second thing is, you actually have to do something about it. Uh, You don't have to raise your hands because we won't get too honest in here. But how many of us have been in a situation where you're like, I see a need. And you're like, I would love to do that. And then you don't do anything. Has that happened to you before? Where you absolutely just drop the ball and you're like, I see this need. I'm aware of it. But I don't do anything about it. A lot of us go through life that way, don't we? A lot of us go through life maybe being aware, but yet we have no follow-through. And so we need to be people who are not only aware, eyes wide open, heart wide open, but also willing to step up and do something. We can't just assume other people are going to do it all the time. You know, I have to teach my kids that too, right? They leave all their shoes on the ground. I'm like, you're just assuming I'm going to put it away? They're right, but like, like, they're just assuming they magically get in the closet by themselves. Someone else may not step up. And so we have to be willing to step up. I can't tell you the amount of times that someone has seen a need in our family, they were aware of it, and they stepped up and they did something about it. You know, you know what happens? It's life-transforming for our family. That someone would be willing to help us out in a way to help our family. It's life-transforming for us, and I know for a fact it's life-giving for the person helping us. I know for a fact. And so let's be aware, and let's actually follow through and do something. That's the first key to our mission. It's staying attentive to the needs of others. It's noticing, and then it's doing. Noticing, and then doing. Let's, follow, let's go to the next one. 
uh, Acts 14, 11 through 15. When the crowd saw that Paul had done, what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, Laodicean, if you will, these men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bowls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you, just like you. The second key to staying firm in our mission is to stay humble and authentic, humble and authentic. Because they healed this man who was crippled from birth, everyone thought they were gods. They were being elevated to Zeus and Hermes, and we know who they are because of the movie Hercules, the Disney movie Hercules. And so we know who Zeus and Hermes are, but in Lystra, Zeus and Hermes actually was, were very important, and here's why. The, in the city of Lystra, their claim to fame was that these two gods once visited their city. And the story this is a wild story. That the story goes that Zeus and Hermes uh, dressed up like poor people and they went around the town of Lystra asking for hospitality. But the entire town rejected them until they got to this elderly couple, very poor couple, who showed them, invited them in, showed them hospitality. And little did they know that they were showing these gods hospitality. And so you know what Zeus and Hermes did? They elevated this elderly couple to the priest and priestess of that town and then killed everybody else. That's the story. I'm not kidding, okay? And so you can bet that when they saw this crippled man healed, they were not going to go by and, and make this mistake again and not elevate Zeus and Hermes because they probably didn't want to die. And so they elevate Paul and Barnabas to this godlike form, to Zeus and Hermes, and they give them this divine nature because they want to show hospitality to these gods. And so that's most likely why that all happened. That's most likely why there was a temple of Zeus right outside the city if he had visited that town before. And so Paul and Barnabas are left with a choice in this moment. Believe it or not, they could either embrace their new divine nature that they have been given, because I love it how it says they decided that Bar like they decided that they were there, so they could either embrace their new divine nature, or they could hold firm to the mission that God had given them. And of course, they they chose to hold firm and stayed humble, and they were authentic with the people. Immediately, it says, immediately, they didn't even give in to it one bit. They tore their clothes, a public cry of like disgruntlement, if you will, and they shouted, we are just like you. We are just like you. The cry, we are just like you, brings us back to what John the Baptist says in John 3.30. And you've probably heard this before when people were like, are you the Christ or is he the Christ, whatever, and John simply says, he must increase, I must decrease. He must increase. We must elevate Jesus in our lives, and we must decrease because he is God and we are not. 
And so Paul and Barnabas are faced with this choice of whether we can embrace our new divine nature and set ourselves up as our God, or we can be humble and lift Jesus up in our lives. In humility, they remained authentic so that the message of Jesus could prevail in the city. If we're going to hold firm to our mission, we need to stay humble and authentic, admitting that we're not God. That we're not God, we're just simply servants of the true God. Admitting that we are not the kings and queens of our own lives, but simply citizens of God's kingdom. Admitting that we must decrease so that he can increase. And I know that's easier said than done because that's the tension in our lives because we all love to be increased, don't we? We love to experience that. And yet, when it comes to the mission that God has for us, he must increase and we must decrease. That's the second key. Let's look at the third key. Acts 14, 15 through 18. The story continues. So this is in the midst of what's going on. So they've just been given this divine nature and uh, they, they tear their clothes and they're just like, we're just like you. And right after that, this is what Paul says. We have come to bring you the good news. There's that phrase, good news again. If you go through the book of Acts, that phrase, good news, the gospel is right there throughout the entire one. It's the idea that Jesus has done for us what we can never do for ourselves, okay? They bring the good news that you should turn from the worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. This is the message that Paul and Barnabas bring with them everywhere they go. The good news of Jesus Christ resurrected. It's a, it's a strong message. It's unapologetic, and it's full of truth. And that's the third key to maintaining our mission is that we need to speak truth. We need to speak truth. But I love the way Paul goes about this. There's two things to highlight here. In Acts chapter 13, Paul gets to Pisidian Antioch, and he goes right to the synagogue where the Jewish people go. We are told his sermon in Acts chapter 13, and you know what Paul does? He brings these Jewish people back to the Old Testament because that's what they would read at their synagogue. And he brings them to the Old Testament to prove that, that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's the one true God. But then we get to Acts 14, and he shows up in Lystra, and guess what? He's not touching on the Old Testament. Why? Well, it's because they don't know about the Old Testament. They're not well-versed in it. And so what does he do instead? He speaks about Jesus in ways that they can understand. Paul knows who he is talking to, his crowd. He speaks in such a way that they can understand so that they believe. Uh, He boldly shares the truth with them in ways that are so simple. First, the truth that God is not dead. Right? Like he's, he's appealing to them like this is a living God. It's not a dead God. He resurrected. He talks about the truth of a God who is the creator. So he's playing on things that they can physically see in their lives, the evidence that is all around them. He talks about the God who is the creator. He talks about the God who is good and who is generous, something that they absolutely desperately need to hear. 
And then he also talks about a God who brings joy, joy to our hearts. And so instead of being appalled that these people believe in multiple gods, that they're polytheists, instead of being appalled at that fact, he actually uses it as leverage to point to the one true God. Paul comes at them and speaks truth in such a way that they can understand. And so listen, this point could be mistaken, this idea of speaking truth, because some of you are going to leave here and say, wow, the pastor just said I could say anything I want on Facebook. It's not what I'm saying today, okay? That's not what I'm saying today. I'm not giving you permission to just yell at people of how wrong they are. Rather, I'm encouraging you to speak the truth with grace. So not only should we speak truth in an understanding way to who we're talking to, but we should also speak truth wrapped in grace. Paul's message was surrounded by grace. It was a message that pointed not to how wrong they were, but rather to who God is. He kept it focused on the point. It was not a message of condemnation, judgment, opinion, politics, or biases. It was focused on the truth of God and God alone. And so, in order for you to understand this a little bit more, I want you to think of your favorite candy bar right now, okay? So think of your favorite candy bar. Some of you are hungry right now, so. Do you have it in your head? Mine's a Butterfinger. I know some of you are like, that's gross, but I don't know. It just is, okay? So think about your favorite candy bar, all right? So now if I came to you, and I gave you one candy bar that's in the wrapper. And I also gave you your favorite candy bar with no wrapper. Which one are you going to eat? Now, some of you savages will eat both. <laughs> but most of us would eat the one wrapped in the wrapper. Why? Because we know it's protected. We know that it hasn't been in weird places. And so that goodness that's inside the wrapper is something that I'm going to be more drawn to, to actually accept and say thank you and then indulge in the goodness that's in that wrapper. But if I give you a candy bar without a wrapper, all of a sudden you're like, that's really good. It's my favorite candy bar. But it has no wrapper. Where has it been? Why doesn't it have a wrapper? And why are you giving it to me? You see, it's the same thing with the goodness of Jesus Christ. When we speak truth, we can either speak the truth wrapped in grace so that people are more willing to listen, people are more willing to accept that message that Jesus has done for us, what we can never do for ourselves. But if you bring the message of Jesus to someone not wrapped in grace, then there's, I'm, I'm guarantee they will be more prone to disregard it and throw it away, much like you would do to an open candy bar. Do you get how important it is to speak the truth with grace? Do you understand how important it is that we bring the truth to them in an understanding way and that it's wrapped in grace so that they they are absolutely more willing to listen and respond to the truth of the gospel? We need to speak the truth in an understanding way but wrapped in grace so that God can work in their lives, so that they would be more attentive and be willing to listen. Listen. 
So if we're going to hold firm to our mission, let's speak the truth. Let's do it in an understanding way and wrapped in grace so that people can respond. Fourth truth. This is where the story just gets crazy, okay? Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. Isn't that nuts? Okay, we just got to talk about this. This blows my mind a little bit, okay? This shows us that we cannot make life all about us. Do you realize, like, right before this, they were hailing Paul as a god? They were literally sacrificing to this man, and then just in a short time, all of a sudden, they're throwing rocks at him. This is where cancel culture has begun. And so from literally this idea that they're being lifted up as a god to being stoned is because Jews from Antioch and Iconium came to Lystra, and they won the crowd. So this is two towns ago and one town ago. So they must have caught word that Paul and Barnabas had fled to a certain town and they caught word that they're preaching the same message that they did not like or appreciate. And so they were like, we're going to go put a stop to this. Those people in Lystra are crazy. They'll believe anything. And we're going to go ahead and win them. And they did. They went and they won the crowd. And so they started to stone Paul, most likely because he was the speaker. And so they stoned Paul. And and literally it means that they thought he was dead. This does not mean he was just a little beat up and he was playing dead, winking at everybody. Like, I'll I'll, I'll, uh, play dead like a bear, if you will. He He was lifeless. He was lifeless to the point where a whole mob was like, absolutely, this man's dead. They dragged him outside the city so he could rot. The beauty of this passage right here, though, and the fourth key is found in verse 20. But the believers gathered around him. But the believers gathered around him. They gathered around him in shock and fear and sadness, but they also gathered around him and prayed. And that's the fourth key, and it's imperative to our mission that God has called us to do as the church, to help people move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. We must surround one another with prayer. There's no way that Paul survives that that situation without a miracle, let alone gets up and goes back into the town. I don't know about you, but I would go the opposite direction. He goes back into the town because he's a dead man, right? They thought he was dead. So he went right back into the town, kind of probably got cleaned up. And then the next day they left because it wasn't safe. And so, listen, the church came around him and prayed, which which shows that prayer worked. Prayer worked. God was not finished with Paul yet, and prayer worked. And for some reason, God gave him the strength and the life to get back up and to continue the mission that he has been called to. Listen, we cannot stay firm in our mission unless we surround each other with prayer today. And so there's two aspects of prayer we got to think about. First of all, who can you pray for today? 
right? Because when it comes to, again, just like being attentive, there's being aware of it, and then there's actually doing it. When it comes to prayer, it's being aware of prayer, but then actually doing it. And so the question is, is who can you surround today and pray for them today? And then the other question is, is how can someone pray for you? This is where the two downfalls to the church. Not enough people are willing to pray. And also, too many people are too private to be prayed for. You think, oh, no one will actually want to pray for me. That's not right. Like, you're wrong if you think no one wants to pray for you. We want to pray for you. There's many people in this room who want to pray for you. You just have to be a little bit willing to open your lives, to be a little vulnerable, that you're not perfect, and that prayer actually works. And so there's two aspects to prayer. Who can you pray for? Who can you surround? Who can you build up? Who can you care for through prayer? And then the other side, how can someone pray for you? How can they intercede for you? How can they step in and surround you? Because we all could use prayer in our lives. And so ask yourself those questions. Who can I pray for? And how can someone pray for me? And then you've got to let someone know. Let us know. Let a friend know. Let a family member know how we can pray for you. So listen. If we are going to hold firm to our mission as Christ followers in the church, first, we must be attentive to the needs of people. Be attentive to the needs of people. Notice and then do something about it. Notice and do something about it. Next, we must be humble and authentic. Humble and authentic. Stop trying to elevate yourself as your own God in your life and elevate God to the rightful place in which he deserves in your life, as God and God alone. Third, we must always speak the truth wrapped in grace. We can come at people all day with truth, but if it's not wrapped in grace, they're going to disregard it. And so speak the truth wrapped in grace and in understanding. And fourth, we must always surround each other with prayer. Who are you praying for and how is someone praying for you? And we do these things because this is a mission worth fighting for, isn't it? This is a mission worth fighting for. The good news that Jesus Christ did for us what we can never do for ourselves, that Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, his resurrection, that it's through him and belief in him, faith in him, in which we can receive forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. And that's how easy it is. It's simple faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. This message, this good news, is worth fighting for, and we get to proclaim this message not only by our words, but also by our actions in life. And so I pray that you would be convicted to, to care for others, to be humble, to speak truth, and to pray. Let's pray. God, we thank